The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. In order to thrive in today's competitive business market, you need to constantly adapt to change. In other words, reinvent yourself and your company. Welcome to Business Reinvention with host Nancy Lynn. This hour will have you listening to and thinking like the successful business leaders of today. Now, here is your host, Nancy Lynn. Hi, I'm Nancy Lynn. Welcome to Business Reinvention. Every week, we bring you thought-provoking ideas from a different sector so that you can connect the dots and stay innovative and competitive. Well, we all know that companies cannot stay innovative or competitive without a workforce that's educated and creative. And yet, last year, the U.S. ranked 11th in the 4th grade math and 10th in 8th grade science, far behind many other countries. Um, And according to New York Times, only 7% of American students reach the advanced level in 8th grade math, while 48% of their counterparts in Singapore and South Korea did. So that is a huge gap we're looking at. And I think the most frustrating thing about this is that it's beginning to sound like an old story, as the problem has been persistent for years with very little progress. So is there a way to reverse the trend and get American students excited about math and science again? And will we ever see a day when we could develop one million kid inventors a year? What would that do to the future of this country? Well, today we're going to learn about how Connecticut Invention Convention is making great strides in reaching some of these goals. It's a nonprofit organization that provides participating schools with curriculum to engage students in problem solving and innovation. And joining me today to discuss the program are Helen Charov, Executive Director of Connecticut Invention Convention, Denny Briere, a board member of the organization, and Hannah Bucci, an eighth grade inventor from the program. Hello, and welcome to all of you. Hi. Hi, thanks for having us. Hi, everyone. Um, So, Helen, let me start with you first. Um, Why do you think so many students don't find math or science interesting? Well, it's difficult on the elementary and middle school level uh, to teach science properly. I think, you know, to be fair to teachers out there, they haven't really had the professional development to allow them to teach science in an exciting way. And most of our standardized testing right now is in uh, reading, writing, uh, some math, but very little in science. So uh, that wonder that kids have coming into school oftentimes isn't fostered or nurtured enough through the programs that they have in elementary and middle school. Oftentimes science is uh, it's not even frequent enough for them to get interested in it. Hmm. So how does your program address these issues? Well, um, invention is something that everybody really is an inventor or a problem solver in their lifetime and and everyday problems that people have are often so- solved creatively by you know the uh, the approach of 
how can I fix this problem for myself if the invention is, is if the problem is something of my own. So 30 years ago when we first started the Connecticut Invention Convention, we took the approach that kids would really have ownership of their problems if they were problems that they had to solve as opposed to challenges that were posed to them. And using various um, science uh, curriculum, which included simple machines and motion, we devised a way of getting kids interested in science by engaging them through their own product development, if you want to call it that. And it's been a program that has just been tremendous in growing the sense of confidence and ownership that kids have in developing solutions through inventing, through innovation, and now even through entrepreneurship, taking it to the next step where they're owning their own ideas and wanting to promote them as a way of solving a problem. So it sounds like you're asking kids to look around them and find problems that are relevant to them. And I mean, in other words, making math and science relevant to their everyday life. Exactly. We ask them, what bugs you? And boy, they come up with a lot of things that bug them. <laughs> well, Hannah, let's hear from you. Um, you know, definitely want to hear about your idea. But first of all, I wanted to know why you became sci- you know, interested in science after joining this program. Because I know originally you were more interested in writing than science or, or math. So what was it that changed the way you feel about science? Um, the way I felt about science definitely changed because I felt like a lot more curious about it. After the invention convention, I looked around at my daily life and thought about different types of problems, and I actually thought about solutions instead of just ignoring them. I felt very curious about different types of things and tried to figure out solutions. Um, yeah, it sounds like you're, you're now looking from a very curious perspective um, and, you know, and definitely um, more perspective than before, sounds like. So what was the idea that you came up with? Egghead ice cream is a new way to package and sell ice cream that completely eliminates the need for an ice cream scoop. Egghead ice cream contains a dozen individual egg-shaped portions packed in an egg carton for hungry kids that want a tasty treat served quickly. Huh. So what challenges did you face while working on this project, um, and how did you overcome them? That sounds like a really good idea. Thank you. And my biggest problem was probably finding the right shape. When I came up with my idea, I didn't like originally know that it would be an egg shape. My first idea was having it conical shape, so it would wedge into the cone. But after months of searching through different types of stores and baking catalogs, I couldn't find anything. I actually even made my own molds, but those didn't work out. But finally, I came across these plastic Easter eggs sold around Easter times. And the jumbo egg size actually wedged into the cone perfectly, so it makes a perfect scoop. So you sound pretty motivated, like through this whole process. I mean, how was it different from doing your other homework assignment? I mean, it just sounds like you had to go through a lot of trouble um, to try out different solutions, and yet you really, um, you know, push through and find a very innovative solution. What kept you going? It's a lot more fun than regular homework. Most homework is usually worksheets, textbooks, and those don't really get me much excited. But this is so much fun. It's not actual textbooks assignments. It's um, becoming innovative and thinking about ideas in a different way, thinking out of the box. Hmm. Well, Jenny, I know that Hannah went on to win an award at the convention, um, but I also know most states host fairs, um, science fair as well. So how is this program any different? Well, it's actually quite complementary uh, to the whole science fair process. In fact, we found that a lot of the schools that do invention conventions locally actually do both a science fair and an invention convention 
sometimes on the same night, because they find that the kids that like to do pure experiments um, are very different from the kids that want to do pure invention. Um, and so the kids actually sort of naturally uh, fall into one group or the other and actually move back and forth between the two groups. Uh, with a science uh, invention, a lot of times they're, they're reading a, an, a process out of a book and, and trying to replicate that process in their invention. They're not necessarily inventing something new. Um, whereas with, on the inventing side of things, the Connecticut Invention Convention program has them solve one of their problems. And they're really developing it from totally from scratch using materials that they find around the house. They go to Home Depot or Radio Shack or they find uh, online and uh, put it together to come up with their own solution. Mm, and like Helen said, that they really have the ownership of that, and, and I think that's part of the fun as well, it sounds like. Um, so, Hannah, what was the experience like competing in the convention? The experience was so much fun. Um, for me, it wasn't much as a competition. It was a way to meet new people, see other kids' inventions, and compare, and it, to meet the judges and sponsors, and really figure out, is my idea actually worth it, or is just something that I just stop here to school level, or do I move on? And it basically showed me that this is an idea that can go out into the world. Mm, and what did you learn from that experience? Um, I learned that there are other possibilities to different problems. There's not just one simple answer. There's about a billion. You can do so many different ways for anything. Mm, and, and I know that the judges include, I guess, other students as well, right, or, or just the experts. And did that help you in terms of learning about um, how to tweak your ideas? Um, well, basically, the judges um, showed me that my idea wasn't just like something that was a simple school project, and they also showed me that um, my idea was something that was worthful and um, it basically something that was special. Um, so, Danny and Helen, from your observation, how has the program transformed the students? Oh, in so many ways, especially girls. Over 50% of our young inventors are girls, which isn't paralleled later on in neither STEM education nor in entrepreneurship, which is something that we'd really like to focus on in the future, is getting girls to continue to be interested in science and technology engineering and then in college and beyond. So it's transformational in the sense that a student learns that this process of invention is not just, oh, my God, I can't think of what I could invent, but it's really um, a process where you can try things out, where you can fail. I mean, this is completely in step with Failure 101 now on the engineering level where you have to really iterate and reiterate problems in order to find them and doing hard things that lead to recognition of your thinking skills, of your problem-solving skills, um, feeling that you're in a group of peers who actually think and work the same way you do, so that's important to young kids, being recognized by professional judges. from We have about 300 judges at our finals um, every year who are drawn from major engineering companies and academic institutions who take the time to really listen to a young inventor's idea and um, get information from them and encourage questions and answers from the peer inventors who are in the judging group that we set up at the finals as well. It really is 
Um, the key to it is really respecting and listening to a young person's ideas, and, and they take away so much from that process. Yeah, the one thing I would add to that is that the kids get a whole lot of confidence out of the whole process. A lot of these kids have not done formal presentations before and presented in front of an audience. Remember, we start at the kindergarten level, and so you've got kids that are have to stand up in front of their peers and some adults that they've never seen before and go through a pitch of their product and explain how it works, explain the target market, who would use it, how they came up with it, and it's a new experience for them. But we're also seeing that you'll see kids that are on their fourth, fifth, sixth invention. So we've got serial entrepreneurs that are starting in these, in these uh, very, very young ages that build their skill sets year over year and become far more articulate. And uh, you can just see the changes as a judge when you see these kids year after year. Um, you don't always have the same kids, but it's amazing. You'll see someone says, I've seen you before. Oh, you had this product three years ago, and you actually remember the kids and their products because um, you become affiliated uh, in, in your mind uh, between the, the, the two uh, different aspects. And it's a lot of fun to see them grow over the years. Mm. And the program in some way sounds very similar to the incubator programs for startups in the high-tech industry. Did it surprise you, Denny, that it also works so well for students at such a young age? You know, I think students um, are often uh, ignored when we start talking about invention. And yet there are kids out there that have become multimillionaires in their inventions and sold off their products. Every year we have two or three kids that come up with an invention that has a lot of street smart to it and that we can find partners to to take it to marketplace. And so kids that rise to the top of this program um, actually have the opportunity to get into Walmart and Sears and JCPenney's, et cetera, with their inventions. And it's quite something to be able to go back to all the kids and say, okay, last year this kid was sitting where you are, and this year her stuff is in Walmart. And you can show them a package. It's all packaged up and show it how it looks. Arguably today, one of the most famous inventors in the state today is one of the kids who uh, invented uh, a lollipop that cures the hiccups um, and who got worldwide acclaim with their product and is actually um, working with a factory now and hiring adults and everything to go and roll out her product to the marketplace. That is really amazing. Wow. We have to talk some more about this, but first we're going to have to take a break. Um, I also want to let the audience know that some of the podcasts from this program are now available for sale. And your contribution will help support the continued production of thought-provoking discussion like the one we're having today. So please go to bizreinvention.com to make a contribution. And thank you for your support. We'll continue with the conversation after these messages. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we can provide you with the tools and coaching to become an effective leader to grow your business. Contact us today at 415-322-9073 or email Nancy Lynn at info at changeagentsf.com for more information. Transform your leadership 
and business with Change Agent SF. Did you ever stop to think that financial health can be a lot like physical health? The financial physician, Luce Katigna, has helped people on the radio for nearly 15 years. And now he's part of the Voice America Business Channel. By using medical analogies to discuss financial solutions, Lou actually makes the process easier to understand and will help you chart your own financial fitness. Tune in to The Financial Physician, live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time, and on demand anytime on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you a business innovator, or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. To join in on this week's discussion, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to Business Reinvention. So, Hannah, it sounds like you have a really cool idea right now. Um, so, tell me more about how did you even identify a problem to focus on originally? How did that come about? Well, basically, the problem um, was scooping ice cream is really hard. But um, before I even came up with the idea, I couldn't even find anything until one day my mom bought these ice cream cones, which is pretty rare, so we were all really excited. So I was sitting on my couch and sulking about how I have no idea for my school project until my mom was scooping ice cream into the cones, and I realized how hard it is. It's usually frozen solid, or once you get it onto the cone, it falls off. So I was thinking, what is better than scooping ice cream? I thought finger foods are a lot easier. So using your hands is better than using forks, knives, and spoons. So I thought, <laughs> what if the ice cream is pre-molded? Oh. And that's how you start focusing on that project. And now that you came up with a great solution, how are you going to take your project to the next level? What are you going to do with your idea? So lots of people have validated this idea, like Baskin-Robbins, and they've encouraged me to pursue developing Egghead ice cream as a real consumer packaged good. My plan is to license Egghead ice cream to an ice cream brand or dairy with the ability to produce, package, and distribute the product to grocery stores across America. And I'm right now I'm in the development process trying to work out exactly how to bring my product to market. And I'm in a discussion with the University of Connecticut. They might be a possibility to work with. So what kind of support did you get? It sounds like you're, you're doing a lot of business development, you know, product development. That sounds like a lot. Um, and, and if I'm correct, you're also applying for a patent for your product, right? Oh, yes. I filed a patent actually because of Baskin-Robbins. They were very supportive of my idea and, you know, they might have not been interested in it, but they really gave me support. And we actually asked them, is this something that I stopped here? Yes, it was a great idea or do I continue with it? And they told me that this is a great idea and I should continue with it. And so they supported me and they told me I should file my patent. 
My, my patent application is now in process. It may take a couple years, but it's in the process right now. Mm, so do you have all the resources and partners that you need, or are you looking for new partners? I, right now, I actually am looking for new partners. I mean, my mom has some resources, but other than that, we are looking for somebody to partner with. So what would an ideal partner look like? I think a big ice cream company, I was always thinking like Nestle or Briars or maybe Friendlies, something that's big and out there so customers can look and say, this is a big ice cream company I'm used to, maybe I should try their new product. Awesome. So, Danny, I think this is a, uh, one of the most fascinating aspects of this program is that um, the, you're providing a lot of support or mentorship from business leaders to how the students further develop their business strategies and even patterns. So has that been a challenge to get communities um, involved or business leaders involved? Well, I wouldn't say it's a challenge. We, we, it actually, actually has been something that we've been focused on, and it's amazing the amount of support that you get within a community to help kids grow and help them learn and help become better at the things that everyone knows that they're going to need to be better skilled at in the future. And so the sell, quote-unquote, is not really that hard. It's a process of going out there and talking to them. But, for instance, we've built relationships with legal firms that offer free uh, provisional patents to students uh, that need to follow their provisional patents. And we've got various uh, business executives that will do free mentoring uh, to the kids and work with them. Um, and we're actually, because we have so many, we're actually able to find usually someone that's got some area of expertise in helping them out. In Hannah's case, for instance, the University of Connecticut has their own dairy barn and their own dairy, and they make their own ice cream and stuff. So the red, readily available professors who know about trying to package ice cream up for retail distribution because they do that, and people that know about how to do, um, how to take products to marketplace from the business school. So we've got a program that we've developed called Next Step Inventors that, that helps the inventors take that next step into invention and entrepreneurship to get their product to the marketplace. And this is where we, we feel we build upon the whole STEM environment. And, in fact, in Connecticut we talk about STEMI, where you've got STEM, which is the uh, science, technology, engineering, and math efforts that are complemented by invention and innovation and then the process of entrepreneurship of taking the product to marketplace. So it's taking those necessary extra two steps to apply the STEM into an actual prototype in a working environment that you can actually visualize and see and help make sure it solves the problem, and then going through the entrepreneurship step of testing it against the marketplace, making sure people want it, getting it patented, uh, going through the process of, of creating your company and uh, building your partnerships and actually going ahead and taking it to market. Hmm. Well, Helen, since Danny mentioned STEM, um, can you elaborate a little bit about how this worked together with the SAM program and, and, and also standardized tests? Well, there's a there's a new standard that's um, been in the works in the United States for about the last five or six years that was brought about by the Nas- National Research Council called the Next Generation Science Standards, NGSS. And the interesting thing about these new standards is that for the first time um, we're seeing engineering practices at the same level as scientific inquiry so that you're not just learning science, pure science for the sake of science, which may be kind of cut and dry for science, for kids, but when you're t- taking engineering practices and actually having to insert them into the curriculum in a way that shows real-life ap- applicability to the scientific principles, 
these new next generation standards, which science standards, which are being adopted even as we speak, I think we're up to about 26 states nationally now, are really going to focus so much more on K through 8, K through 12 inclusion of engineering rather than not even mentioning engineering until maybe you get to the college level. So that's really in our favor right now in terms of a national recognition that we should be teaching engineering at an early age, engineering and problem solving and creativity, which is innate in kids and just doesn't really have a way of, uh, they don't have a way of really being able to develop their ideas if they don't have that kind of training. Mm, I think a great thing about the program is that it's really creating the context for math and science. So it makes, you know, it has meaning, I think, for, for kids to understand why it's important to understand some of these elements in those math and science classes. And it's also matching, I would say, science with business, which is very interesting. And, and it sounds like the program has produced a good number of young entrepreneurs and inventors so far. Is it an expensive program to implement? Helen. No, it's not. I mean, schools really pay $150 a year for an entire school to participate in the state of Connecticut. And we've got over 150 schools that participate. We've got 10,000 inventors every single year in the state of Connecticut throughout all of our programs. Every single year, there's a cohort of another 10,000 which really is is uh, tremendous. We're the longest continuously operating program of its kind in the nation, and we would love to be able to see those kinds of numbers in our fair state of Connecticut replicated over other states. So, uh, at the opening of the of the program, when you mentioned one million inventors, that's really our goal: is to take the ten thousand inventors that we have in the state of Connecticut and be able to scale this program up partner up with other states, with other universities, with other entrepreneurship groups. And really, can you imagine what a cohort of a million inventors every single year in the United States coming up to the grades would mean to these kids and to our nation in terms of global competitiveness? I just think that that's that's a moral imperative that we at the Connecticut Invention Convention feel in terms of taking out this program to other states and other regions in the country. So you're saying that it's actually doable, but what do we need to do to realize that vision? Well, we have a program that's scalable and replicable. We just have been growing it here in the state of Connecticut. We have recently applied for a National Science Foundation grant to scale it to four other states here in New England, to Massachusetts, Rhode Island, New Hampshire, and Maine, and we're looking for partners in other states. It it really takes a community that includes a university venue, which could act as a hub analogous to the University of Connecticut that we have as a partner here in Connecticut, a community of like-minded entrepreneurs and startup people who know the value of having hundreds, if not thousands, of young entrepreneurs. Um, And it takes um, the Department of Education in each state to recognize that um, innovation can be taught. It's not a skill that is only for geniuses it is a teachable skill, and many of our teachers, when they go through our professional development, they really become little innovation experts the way you see on the corporate level where they send kids out to fire departments and police departments, and they have the kids actually investigate and go through discovery of what new product development would be like, then come back and prototype, then go back and test the minimal product with those those target markets. So we're really talking about 
um, making innovation and invention a skill that is integrated throughout their school year. So by the time they graduate from high school, they are really thinking that way all the time. We, we have teachers who say that even after four or five years of being inventors, the way that kids approach problem solving is profoundly different from how other kids in other school districts who don't aren't taught these kinds of skills. Nothing becomes a problem any longer. Everything can be solved one way or another. Even test taking is less of a problem because it's not it's, it's, it's they're not freezing up on a solution in some way. So, I mean, I am passionate. Our board of directors is passionate about this program being something that is vital, not just to the state of Connecticut, but really to the nation and maybe the world. Yeah, we, mm-hmm. we right now are in discussions with at least seven or eight other states about moving this into their operations, and we're lucky, I'll even say blessed, to have such great sponsors on board like GE Energy, Pitty Bowes, Stanley Black & Decker, UTC, um, Northeast Utilities. These are people that year after year have given us money to be able to go and support our program and make it so inexpensive for the schools. But there are also ones that are saying that they want us, they want us to see it, uh, take it out to the rest of the nation. And the, so we actually have been spending the past two or three years getting ready for that scalability and to move it out in terms of uh, changing our, our software system so they can be multi-user and multi-state, uh, changing some of our processes, documenting more about what we do, um, and uh, making it so that we could just hand a package over to another state. We've also been partnering with the Startup America Partnership, which was the Obama program that was started with Steve Case of AOL and Scott Case of Priceline, who have uh, regional operations throughout most of the states that are helping to bring new types of startup and entrepreneurship type of programs out there. And we've also been talking to a large number of uh, foundations that also have an interest in trying to see a really strong growth here. Our typical model is that we partner with a, the leading school of engineering in the in a state university uh, in the state in where we're going to. The reason why this, the schools of engineering are so interested in this is because they find that by the end of the eighth grade, most students have made their decision about their high school uh, plans and whether what track they're going to be on and what classes they're going to take, and therefore the high school programs that they focused on really are more towards just keeping the, uh, the people that are, we're going to go through STEM to stay in STEM. So we're more of a, a program that gets people prepared to be in STEM. And when we hand off kids into the high school arena, as, as Helen said, we're seeing half of our kids that are, that are, that are uh, girls uh, expressing an interest to, to stay in STEM and do things in STEM. And so we're sort of doing, our program is doing its part and that we're handing kids off with the STEM interest into the high school arena. And, of course, the engineering schools are seeing a terrific amount of, of, of names and contacts, and they're, they're able to interact with these kids as they're going through the whole, progr- the whole program such that they're able to identify the kids that are real stellar and, of course, uh, try to make sure they, they invite them to some special events at the university to try to get them to come to the university. Awesome. I think there are probably some um, teachers or administrators in the audience who are thinking about participating in this program, but I probably have some questions about how the whole process will look like. Um, so we're going to take a quick break so we can come back and talk about this some more. Uh, for more information about business innovation, follow me on Twitter at BizReInvention or go to BizReInvention.com, and we'll be back in two minutes. 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we can provide you with the tools and coaching to become an effective leader to grow your business. Contact us today at 415-322-9073 or email Nancy Lynn at info at changeagentsf.com for more information. Transform your leadership and business with Change Agent SF. How can we Americans realize our dreams to earn a living? How can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee? Learn how at The American Business Person, the online weekly radio talk show hosted by Rich Killian. Today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails. If you own a new or established business or ever hope to, you must tune in. Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central, and noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Or listen on demand to our archived shows. Are you feeling slammed and suckered in today's stock market? If so, then you need to tune in to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Jordan Kimmel will train you in what you can do to beat up the big boys on Wall Street, as well as share his secrets to success so that you can buy and sell like a profit-pumping pro. Grab the bull market by the horns and listen to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. To join in on this week's discussion, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to Business Reinvention. All right, Jenny, so um, I wanted to continue with what you were saying before the break. Um, so it sounds like there are a lot of um, support that you're getting to help you expand this um, to other states. So some of the people in the audience may be thinking, well, I want my schools to be involved, but do I have to find all these partners and have everything ready in order to qualify to participate in this program? Um, what, what does the school have to do if they're listening to the program and thinking about taking part in this? Well, it all starts with one school, doesn't it? And um, certainly what we really need people to do is just raise their hand. Uh, we're willing to help. Um, we, we're, we're taking an approach with this where we have a commando team that would go out and sit down with the state and help them launch this um, and, and go through a process of determining who are all the key people in the state that need to get together and talk about this and what sort of commitments. Uh, at the end of the day, the amount of money to run this in any given state is not that much relative to um, uh, a lot of the other programs out there. In fact, our whole our whole operation runs uh, in Connecticut for, for well, well under uh, half a million dollars a year for all the states and all the people and everything uh, statewide. And so when you work that out across uh, 10, 12,000 inventors and growing every year, um, it's a pretty good investment per child. So uh, when we talk about 
going into another state, what we talk about doing is going and sitting down with, with whoever's interested and starting that as the baseline and building from there. Helen, what would you add? It's really kind of a triad of a school that's interested, a university that already has multiple outreach programs into into future engineering um, or creative people that want to come there, um, and the Department of Education that understands the value of being able to actually have a program that addresses and aligns with these next generation science standards. So. It, you know, it's as little as having school districts like this. There was a school district in Massachusetts that contacted us just earlier this spring and said, we're ready to do this program. What does it take? And uh, we sat down with them and we outlined the annual program, having their teachers come in for professional development or if it was further away from us, and we would go up there and sit down and talk with them about how they would start implementing the curriculum and what they would do, getting the program on track to start after after the first of the year and how they would conduct their own invention convention program in their school and how they would actually um, teach kids about invention and get kids thinking about their own inventions and then create a local invention convention where there would be participation, say, from an entire grade or from multiple grades or or um, some subset of the school, and then choosing those 10% of those um, kids in the local invention convention to represent their school as finalists at a statewide convention the way we have here at the University of Connecticut. So it's, it's, it's a tiered approach, but the beautiful thing about this program is that its mission is really not to find that one American Idol inventor for the entire state. This is not an online competition. This is not a web-based one. This is not, this is not let's find that one idea. The real value of this program is teaching kids the process of critical thinking and invention and innovation and reaching as many of the kids as you can in your school district because what they learn along the way is infinitely more important than that single one money-making invention that maybe they stumble on. What they learn along the way is that this is something that they can do. This is something that may become a professional interest, and problem-solving is a skill that they can be able to use in any corporate or academic or technical setting that they choose to go into. So our goal is really not to identify and to market successful inventions, our goal is to really make kids understand that this this process, this thinking, this way of life for them is viable and that it's something that they can aspire to in terms of their future. Yeah, and being able to turn problems into opportunities. Yes. Um, and you also mentioned earlier um, something interesting is that it's actually not expensive um, program to implement. Um, you know, and I think that's really important to point out um, because we've seen a lot of science programs coming out of well-funded school districts, but sometimes it's very challenging to replicate the same success in underserved communities because the amount of money required. Um, so do you think this could be the approach to finally level the playing field? Um, do you see the same results uh, from the underserved schools as well? Oh, absolutely. We've had, it's, it's amazing. We've seen kids from inner city schools, first time inventors who are brilliant in what they've come up with, with just a little bit of coaching. I once um, met with one of the young inventors who had developed this black glove with um, weighted tips on the fingers, and I asked them, 
Nolan, what is this product for? And he says, well, my grandmother has arthritis and I'm going to be, she's going to be able to exercise her fingers in this glove with these weighted tips on it. Now, this is a child who had never been exposed to invention before. First-time inventor, great idea, a kid on his way to becoming a biomedical engineer if he just gets a little bit more. And his first trip up to the University of Connecticut was an eye-opener for him and for his mom. It's like, I can actually be here at the university and the dean of the School of Engineering is shaking my hand and congratulating me on being a recognized inventor. It doesn't get much better than that, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of leveling the playing field, as you said. Hmm. Yeah, and the other thing you mentioned was um, the fact that there are 50% um, girls and 50% boys participating in your competition. And that's really impressive, considering the fact that most science programs um, are still more appealing to boys than, than girls. So do you two have any hypothesis why this is different? I think girls want to contribute to making, I'm not to say that boys don't, but girls look at engineering and problem solving as wanting to contribute to making the world a better place. They're altruistic about it. They like to do pro- projects in healthcare. Mm-hmm. So I think that part of the, um, our sweet spot are fifth and sixth graders. So at that age, girls are still looking for ways that they can be helpful in some way. And when you suggest to them, what's a problem that you can solve? They're not shirking away from it thinking, oh, well, this is not an appropriate activity for me. They're actually thinking of it in terms of how can I solve a problem that might be helpful to somebody else. Oh, I love that. Um, Denny, do you have anything to add? Well, I was just going to say that some of, the, some of my favorite examples um, of kids, I'm thinking here now about my favorite inventions, um, they're coming from all over the place, boys, girls, inner city, outer city. Uh, last year, the, the product that ESPN voted that it liked the most at the uh, invention convention was a uh, kid that had invented a pair of cleats called the Bacalites that was for baseball and soccer. So he only had to have one pair of shoes uh, for the two for the two um, sports, and that came out of the inner city. Another one was um, these kids. This kid that uh, played street ball all the time had invented this uh, iron grate cover that could just be put over the storm drains while they played uh, street ball so the ball didn't go down the storm drain. I mean, it was a very practical uh, product that you could see being sold throughout all the inner cities to, so that things don't go down the storm drains. It's a very practical thing that only a kid would think of. Exactly. Who had lost a number of balls going down the drain. I guess in a way, it's almost like they have the the inner city um, children have the advantage of having a lot of problems in their life, and it's actually a great opportunity for them to come up with solutions and with the help of the school. Um, so it sounds like this is a really great program for them. Um, yeah, I'm, I'd, I'm, I'm I'd, add, I'd add to that: we actually have very specific inner city programs, and these are sponsored by some of the sponsors. Will will come to us and they'll say, "We want to sponsor um, Hartford, and we want to make sure that." All the inner city schools in, in Hartford are running this program, and they actually fund that for us in total. So we can go to 12 schools that might not be able to afford it, and they pay for everything for the kids, and they, they actually send some mentors in from their own organization and become very involved in the community. Exciting. Well, we have talked a lot about the impact on the kids, and it's really obvious um, that the the program has transformed so many of them. What about the teachers? Um, I wonder how has that transformed the way teachers think about teaching? What have they learned about how to get students excited about the subjects? 
Helen? Well, we've got, uh, we've got a core of master teachers, some of whom have been doing this for 20 years, 15 to 20 years, who have refined the program into being a core part of their curriculum. The ones who really have adopted this program and integrated it into what they do every day in the classroom are the ones who are most um, aligned with it and have embedded it into what they're doing. So they see this not as sort of an after-school activity where the kids make cute tchotchkes, but as a way of transforming the way kids think about any kind of problem solving. One of, one of our teachers, for instance, does a different theme every year, one year for handicap access, one year for environment, one year for energy. So the kids are given a little bit of direction in terms of identifying a problem that they might solve. And, and for the teacher, this becomes one of the most satisfying and rewarding programs that they have during the year because they see the transformation in their kids. They see sometimes kids who are behavioral problems who reinvent themselves by becoming an inventor. All of a sudden, their identity is formed around being a a problem solver and coming up with a great idea and coming home from the finals with a big blue ribbon that says, you know, I'm I'm the ESPN winner or I'm the Pitney Bowes winner. And for a teacher, there's no greater reward than being able to redirect a kid into something that maybe they wouldn't even have been involved with. We probably have about 300, 400 teachers in the state right now who are in this program. The other thing that the teachers really like about this, it's a very public and visible type of thing. Uh, parents love coming to the invention convention and looking at all the different inventions that have been made. Um, and uh, the winners are often uh, chronicled in the newspapers. And we have relationships with lots of the uh, producers uh, for like Ellen and The Tonight Show and David Letterman and so on. Uh, and the kids actually go either California to New York and go on air and show their inventions. And so Martha Stewart might be showing three or four uh, kitchen inventions on the Martha Stewart show. How exciting. I wish I were in your program. You <laughs> <laughs> can be an inventor, Nancy. <laughs> Never too late. <laughs> All right. program. <laughs> well, okay. It sounds like it's time to take another break. You're listening to Business We Mentioned with Nancy Lin. Follow me on Twitter at BizWeMention or go to BizWeMention.com. We'll be back in two minutes. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we can provide you with the tools and coaching to become an effective leader to grow your business. Contact us today at 415-322-9073 or email Nancy Lind at info at changeagentsf.com for more information. Transform your leadership and business with Change Agent SF. Does your business, like many, face obstacles to becoming successful? Would you love to have an open forum of entrepreneurial ideas and best practices brought to you each week? Tune in for The Second Stage with hosts Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. We'll spotlight entrepreneurs and growing companies that are creating a vibrant economic base, as well as addressing some of the obstacles that could be standing in the way of your success. Listen Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Does money drive you or does it serve you? When you listen to Money in Your Life, you'll discover the answer to that question. Tune in as hosts Brian Barr and Ann Hutchins bring you thought-provoking discussions designed to help you understand and assess exactly how money operates in your life. Take control of your personal finances. Money in Your Life is broadcast live every Friday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Make your money work for you. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. To join in on this week's discussion, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to Business Reinvention. So we have had the opportunity to talk about the impact of your program on the students and the teachers. And now I'm really curious about the impact on the corporate sponsors. Have they changed the way they look at your program, the way they look at business innovation or even education? Um, Danny? Yes, absolutely. I mean, when we first started out, corporations saw us as a place where they might donate $1,000 or $2,000 or $3,000 a year to and um, as in the same way they might donate to any of a number of other people, and it was seen as a check. And really, it's transformed over the years, become truly an extension of their community involvement and something that they encourage their employees to take part in. So we'll find that a sponsor will ask um, their employees to show up to be volunteers, to be judges, uh, to help uh, us with all aspects of, of the program. Some of them will serve on the board of directors uh, as volunteers, and so there's there's a hefty involvement that ranges uh, throughout the full year, not just uh, in one particular event. Um, what you're seeing also is that the corporations they brag about this stuff. They'll they're the first ones that'll write an article about this for the for their own internal company magazine or newsletter. Mm. Post pictures and get pictures of their executives with them. Uh, ESPN. Their CTO is the one that comes in with his staff, and they personally do the judging of eight or 900 projects that are there at the finals competition, which is the last of the hierarchical competitions that happens every May at the Gamble Pavilion at the University of Connecticut. So the involvement is not just at a low level or manager here or manager there. It's really right at the chairman of the board or the president of the company who's making a commitment on behalf of the company and saying, you know, we believe in, in creating tomorrow's inventors. Awesome. So, Helen, if somebody's interested in, in, in you know, getting involved in this program, either as a sponsor, um, as a school, um, how should they get in touch with you? How could they get in touch with you? Sorry. Well, they should, they should come to our website. Our website's got a fantastic video that shows the finals event on an, um, on, on, uh, eight minute video on the home, on the home page so they can get a flavor for what it actually looks like. In touch with us through info at or directly with me, um, on the website and just, um, let us know that you have an interest in at least starting the dialogue in your state. We would love to get involved with other states that have an interest in this program, regardless of where, where, where they are. We're talking to Alaska at this point. If, if somebody has got an interest in bringing innovation into the hands of kids 
in investing in our future that way. We are there to respond to that on a very personal and very targeted level with them. So we have a few minutes left, and um, I know both of you have been involved in this program for many years. Um, love to hear from you. How has that journey been for you? Well, Helen? I, I kind of I walked out onto the floor of the basketball pavilion at UConn, which most of your listeners are probably used to seeing you know, very tall people there. We were the shortest people there. And walking <laughs> out and looking out at this field of 700 kids who had all come up with inventions, who were looking to describe their inventions. I was an entrepreneur in my own company at the time, but I was hooked because this struck me as, oh, my God, these are the next generation of kids who are going to be taking our places and, and becoming entrepreneurs. So I've been doing this for 14 years now and have never looked back, and I'm just so excited about the potential for it actually to go out to other states as well. And I got involved as a parent. I've got four kids, and they all went through the invention convention, and they all sat down and tried to come up with ways to solve them. My, my youngest son probably went there six or seven times, and he's still inventing now that he's in high school. Uh, my, my daughter is in, uh, at, at school at, at Duke, and uh, she's involved in several different inventions. People seem to seek her out as an engineer to help her invent things, but she loves uh, inventing because of this. My son, my my other daughter, everybody's had a, had a, had a go at this, and they've tried to solve their own problems, and they, it changes the way they think about things. I've seen them now start thinking and looking around and say, hey, I can invent something to solve that, or I, I can think of a different way of doing this. And that, uh, that as a parent, you can't get any better than that. Mm. Me, harnessing that kind of power of creativity on a national level, like that gives me goosebumps and thinking about what would our nation be like if we actually had kids doing this in every state, every child, in every school. I can't even begin to imagine the, the kind of power that we would be harnessing if we were able to get this program into, the, into a lot more schools and a lot more states. Yeah, I think most kids are naturally creative, and it's so exciting to hear about a program that is helping to unleash the innovative energy within them. Thank you so much for the good work and thank for you. amazing stories that you share with us today. Well, thank you for inviting us. Thank you, Nancy. We really appreciate the time. Thank you. You're listening to Business Reinvention Show with Nancy Lin, and thank you for tuning in today. If you'd like to make a contribution to support our program, please go to bizreinvention.com. And please stay in touch with us by following me on Twitter at bizreinvention. We hope you can join me again next week for another great discussion. Enjoy the rest of your week, and I'll talk to you then. We hope that you've enjoyed Business Reinvention with Nancy Lin. Please join us for another edition of our groundbreaking program next Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll find the inspiration for change over the coming week. 